Welcome to Coaching DNA Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wyckoff. My guests on this podcast are coaches, athletic directors, sports psychologists, and really anyone else that can add value to leaders. In each episode, we spend time exploring leadership, culture, development, personal growth, and much, much more. The guests are different in many ways, but share profound similarities. They are hungry to get better, they are guided by purpose, and they are driven to develop the people around them. Each episode allows us to dive into what skills, attributes, and giftings make up great leaders. When I'm not doing this podcast, I run Kingdom Coaching. It is my consulting business where I coach coaches. I work with coaches one-on-one. I work with coaching staffs, as well as run online cohorts. Additionally, I write a weekly email newsletter to resource coaches with tools and strategies to be better leaders and coaches. To find out more, visit my website at kingdomcoachingtw.com and please check me out on Twitter at kingdomcoachtw or at coaching underscore DNA and give me a follow. I hope you enjoy the show. My guest today is Craig Custance. Craig is the editor-in-chief with The Athletic with a focus on the NHL. Craig is also the author of Behind the Bench. It's a fantastic book where Craig spends time with 10 elite coaches in the NHL. Uh, I read the book and I knew I had to get Craig on the podcast. Craig is super down to earth, has great insight into leadership, and uh, has spent time uh, around some elite, elite leaders, all of which made this a really fun conversation for me. We talk about three elite coaches, Todd McClellan, Joel Quinneville, and John Cooper. We talk about his journey as a journalist and much, much more. You can catch Craig and his work at The Athletic. His Twitter is at Craig Custance. And I would encourage you to grab a copy of his book, Behind the Bench, Inside the Minds of Hockey's Greatest Coaches. So without further ado, my conversation with Craig Custance. Craig, thanks for joining us Uh, today. I know you're busy right in the middle of hockey season. So seriously, (laughs) I appreciate the time you're going to give us today. I'd love to hear your story from high school to present day. (laughs) Wow. All right. That's... Um, I'm right now, as I'm a 76, so I'm 44, I believe, if my math is right, 45 in November. So that's, it's a, that's a, at this point, a sizable chunk of time. So I'll give you the quick version. But I grew up in, in a suburb of Detroit, diehard sports fans. You know, anybody who's in this market knows, um, you know, that's, it's, people are very passionate about their sports. Um, you know, Red Wings, Tigers, Lions. I, I mean, I'm, you know, we're, I raise a family of Lions fans. So that's how messed up we are here. We, you know, <laughs> we, you know, we are diehards. And I think my passion for sports led me into, um, into sports journalism where I fell in love with journalism and it kind of, the passion has switched, switched sides where now I, I happen to be writing and managing in the world of sports as a manager at the athletic and writer um, and what, I, what gets me excited is, is the managing side, the leadership side, um, the writing side, working with young writers, developing uh, our staff at a, a, a company that's growing. We're 500 plus strong, but still a young media company. Um, and less, you know, I watch way less sports. That's just the reality. Like I'm really into kind of the other side of it, the management leadership writing side and, and, you know, 
in, I think part of it is you lose your fandom just because when you do it for a living, you're going to games constantly. And so when you're mm-hmm. off, it's not like, Hey, I want to go to another hockey game on my day off. You're like, Hey, I want to go read a book or something. So um, I, I think that's part of it. And, and, but you know, it, it, it's been a, a, a fun shift. I went to Michigan state university where I studied journalism got an internship at the Atlanta journal constitution that just lucked into it. It was a connection that I, I made and had incredible mentors there as a young writer, um, including uh, Jeff Schultz, who is now uh, a columnist at the athletic and uh, Robin Footlick, who helped me as she was my editor and really just kind of showed me the ropes. And I was completely indebted to them as a young writer. And really it's, it's shaped who I am as a manager. Cause I, I feel like I owe so many people, who helped me along the way that I, you, you know, I can't give back enough and kind of in that realm. And I spent 10 years at the AJC. My dream was to be a baseball beat writer. And mm-hmm. I met some baseball beat writers and they're like, no kid, you don't, this is not what you want to do. <laughs> like it's, it's maybe the hardest grind of them all. And, you know, baseball coaches probably can realize this. You're on the road a ton. You're not just going in and out of a city. You're hunkering down for a three game series and, and, you know, I've got a family and they were like, if you want to have any work-life balance, baseball, you know, stick to being a Tigers fan. Don't, you don't, might not want to live in this space. And it was actually really good advice. And, and I stumbled on the hockey world kind of by accident. You know, I grew up a casual Red Wings fan um, as a kid, but didn't play hockey. I, you know, I played football, um, played basketball, but I never played hockey. I can barely skate if we're being completely real. But when I started covering Thrasher's games, I fell in love with the with the world of hockey. Like the, you know, the people, like it's an international sport. So you have people from all over the world, Russians and Swedes and Finns and Canadians and Americans. Um, and I just found it to be this really tight knit. Once you kind of, you earned their trust, you, you know, you were good. And it's, it's, it's this little world that's been really good to me. And I found as a storyteller and journalist, um, it was, it was great because, it wasn't as um, guarded, I would say, as some of the, I, you know, I covered NFL games and I covered major college football in Georgia and, and at Georgia Tech and University of Georgia and, and the SEC and ACC and and the hockey world, you know, you, you could develop relationships and you're getting cell numbers of the coaches and the GMs and the players. And, you know, if they can tell if you're putting in the time to learn and you're genuine and, you, you know, they they feel, you know, they, they feel um, maybe a connection that, that there, there's more of a barrier. And I think that's even changed since I've been doing it the barrier is is up more than when i started out but i just find found it a re- really fertile ground for my journalism career and really helped make me help me make connections with coaches which led to my book uh, behind the bench where i got to spend it and and that really is a great example of these coaches opening their doors like i the concept of that book was sitting down with 10 coaches and spending an afternoon in their homes and watching games with them. And, and, you know, it, these are the busiest guys in the game. They, they eat and drink and sleep hockey. And so, and I was asking them on their day off to do exactly what I said, I don't want to do. Right. And, and they were so passionate about sharing leadership and sharing what they know, you know, they were willing to do that. And, and, you know, the success of that book is only because of their openness and willingness to, to share and give, give that time. And so, um, I, like, I, I love that world and I've loved, um, you know, transition. I went to ESPN from the AJC. You had the dream job as a national writer at ESPN, doing Sports Center, and you know, writing for a huge audience, and it was great. And when the Athletic came calling and offered me an opportunity to not just write but to build a staff, we were. It was a company that nobody had ever heard of at the time, 
and they said, Hey, we want to, we want to go city to city. We want to build hockey. We want to build a, a, a group in Detroit. And we believe you can help us do that. It was just an opportunity. I, I thought I would never get again to start with a company from the ground up and took that leap um, to do that. And here we are. It's been an, it's been an incredible ride. Love it. Thanks for walking us through. So um, I'm curious, what excites you about the leadership side of your, your job now? Yeah, it's, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I suspect it's part of how I was raised. Like, I, you know, my, I come from a family of teachers. So I'm, in fact, I'm the only non-teacher in my family. My, my wife is a teacher, my, both my brother and sister, every single one of my in-laws and both of my parents. And so, you know, they get together and we get together at Thanksgiving or whatever, and they're all using acronyms and I have no idea what they're talking about. And, and, you know, it's, I'm kind of the the black sheep and that I went a different direction, but I think at, at my heart, like that's, that's what it is to me. It's, it's teaching and it's helping people grow. And um, we just, it's funny, we just had a meeting at the athletic an all hands meeting and we were, we're doing some restructuring and, you know, one of the editors said leadership is, you know, we rise up when you help the people that work for you grow. Like it's not managing up. It's, it's developing the people that work in the organization as a team. And that's how we're going to get better. And, and I think that I love that mindset. And, and my dad, you know, my dad, not only was he a teacher, um, he taught leadership. He, he was, you know, he was big in kind of the Dale Carnegie space. And mm. so I, he was a huge influence, uh, I think, on me without realizing, even if I felt like maybe as a kid, I was rejecting the, the path they carved in life. I was, I'm probably way more in common with them than I realized. And, and uh, it's, it's, you know, I think it's in my blood and it's what I find most gratifying. Yeah. So if we, if I spent a, uh, a day with you watching you work, or maybe you'd have to go maybe a, a month, but I got to a quote unquote watch film with you. Yeah. What is your, what's your leadership style? What would the people that work for you say about Craig um, and how he yeah. manages and develops us? I, I would say um, it, it's a couple of things. I, one with my managers that I trust, I'm pretty hands off, right? Like I really want to empower the way we're structured. We have, you know, I have editors below me and I don't even like to say it that way, but I have editors that work with me that have a staff and, you know, I like to talk to them and really leave it up to them and just kind of guide them. And if they have questions, so I'm as hands off as, as people want to be, I, I really feel, um, most comfortable, or I feel like I do my best work in one-on-one. So I'm, I'm constantly scheduling calls and just trying to connect with people on a personal level. Um, and rather than, you know, this kind of top-down large level meetings or whatever, I'm, I'm constantly trying to work with people on a one-to-one level and give them suggestions and give them feedback. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I've done almost every job, you know, I've written, I've, I've done television, I've done radio, I've done everything that you know, so if somebody is struggling with podcasting or if they're struggling with source development, I've been there. And, and so I just really try to relay my experiences and my successes to whatever the situation is at hand. So I would say, yeah, I, I prefer one on one, but I also am like really nerdy about like structure and, you know, and because I think that's what open, unlocks the doors to allowing the people below you to do their job well. Yeah. Love that. Thanks. What are the what are the commonalities of great journalists? Mm. That's, that's a great question. I would say, um, 
because journalists are really different. And from a, a person to like, some are introverts, some are extroverts, right. and some are, some are great reporters and some are great writers. And they don't want to make the phone call to report. And so, um, so, you know, I think there are a lot of parallels to coaching because you, if you're asking what makes a great manager in the world of journalism, it's identifying how each one of your writers operates. And you're saying, okay, this person's a really talented writer. They could not call a source for a month and still write great columns, but how much better and how much more informed are those columns going to be if we can convince them, hey, make three phone calls for this, yeah. for this column. Even if you don't quote anybody, um, just, just bounce your ideas off of the coach you're covering and, and say, Hey, this is why I'm, I'm going to be critical of, of your play call, but maybe there's something I'm missing. I'm not even looking to quote you like that becomes a really valuable part of shaping. And so when you can, when you can bring out the best in somebody who rec while recognizing their strengths and then really focusing on ways to kind of attack what they might not want to do and push them a little bit outside their comfort zone. I think that's good. I, I think the one thing I value the most when I'm talking about hiring writers or looking for writers um, or journalists, I would say curiosity and creativity are huge. Mm -hmm. Like the, I, I would say curiosity ends up being the, the thread that, that links the best writers together because, um, because that curiosity is ends up is what ends up uncovering great stories. Yep. It, it's, it's having a genuine curiosity about people and how they do their job and, and you putting down the notebook in the recorder and just asking that, you know, when they say something interesting, then kind of going from that and digging into that a little bit more and then picking it back up and saying, Oh, Hey, you know, that makes a great story. Let me write that. And I find the best journalists are those who have that kind of insatiable curiosity um, about their fellow people or the people they're covering. Yeah, that's really good. And so I'm guessing, and this is probably a side note, but I'm guessing as you have that framework, then it, it, it that framework can really determine, or those principles can really determine who you're going to hire with the athletic yeah. like figuring out who is really curious. Cause that's a, a even if they're maybe uh, underdeveloped or younger or whatever, if they're curious, that sounds like that's probably some pretty good clay that you could work with. It, it is. It's it. Absolutely. And I, I would say like the red flag to me in, if anyone's listening to this and they're going to apply for a job I have is the people that are like, Oh, I just love football, man. I want to be a football writer. Cause I love football. And that's fine. Like I like that passion, but like, so do a hundred thousand people at that game. They love football too. So um, what do you, you know, what makes you different than a fan? It, it's, it's those people that are, you know, that have that creativity or, you know, I have that curiosity and, and I, it tends to show up in the kinds of stories they write and, and the writers who aren't are doing very traditional stuff that's written off the press conference. And it's yeah. it, even the structure quote, sentence, quote, sentence kicker, and that's it. And, then you read a writer and you're like, holy cow, how'd they even find out about this story? How do they, you know, they're uncovering stories on their beat that nobody else is telling. Mm -hmm. And you talk to them and they're like, yeah, I called the mom of the, you know, the player and she told me this. And so then I called that person and you're like, all right, like th those are the people I want to work with. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. So I'm going to, I want to start here before we dive into some specifics. Sure. Uh, before I'm going to, I'm going to put your book aside. I loved your book, by the way. It's a phenomenal read. I, I had to slow <laughs> myself it. down uh, to read it. I've read it in like three days and I could have read it in one day. Let's talk a uh, big picture, 30,000 foot view, kind of just the same question that I asked you about journalists. What are, what are the common attributes of you as you, as you have been covering uh, a ton of coaches in all different sports, but primarily hockey, what are the common attributes in elite 
coaches and the elite leaders of sports teams? Um, so I would say in working with a lot of coaches and, and you know, and, and it really kind of shown through in, in the book, I would say that the, the one thing in hockey, and I don't know if this is, I can't speak for other sports, but there are a lot of different ways to win in hockey. You know, you can have a fast skill team, you can have a big physical team. Um, so I think, I think the commonalities I found was, you know, you had coaches that, that had something unique about them, right. That was that, that they really believed in and it wasn't always the same and, but it was authentic, right? So if you, if you had a coach who really believed in structure and how the game should be played and accountability, let's say in, and they were hard on their players, but the players knew it wasn't because of ego. It was because they really wanted to win and they were able to communicate that um, because they truly believe that and they were passionate about that. If you were faking some of that stuff or you're faking trying to be accountable, players would see right through it. So I would say it, it's not one any attribute. It, it's uh, maybe maybe the attribute is authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. Identifying what it is you believe in, what it is you, you're authentic to your personality, and then forming your coaching strategy around that. And, and it's funny because, you know, some are some coaches are are you know, going to build up players by having relationships with them. Some hard won't talk to them otherwise, you know, then in a team setting, they have some other strengths. It's, it's, I kind of, I think it's just leaning into what you think you do best and what works for you. Yeah, it's really good. So I, I actually, um, work with coaches, college coaches primarily. And so in April and May and June, I think it just hit me. This is why your book resonated with me so much. Cause in April, May and June, I just went on this deep dive, like you could listen to, you know, a hundred podcasts and someone's going to say, well, communication is the key. And mm-hmm. another person's going to be like, ah, not, not the key to leadership is, I mean, we could fill in the blank with right, hundreds right. of things. So my, my journey was figuring out of all those hundred things down here, do they fit into some big buckets? Are there like some big categories that you just mm-hmm. look across all disciplines, all sports, um, are there big categories? And I, I came up with four, and this is always kind of ever-changing, but one, sure. I, I, I used character as one because I'm like, I just have a hard time saying someone's an elite coach if they're kind of a turd, if they're, you yeah. know, so I put character. But the other three were, and, and I think this is what resonated with your book because I saw this in so many of, of the guys that you wrote about, emotional intelligence. Can they read a room? Mm. Can they, do they know themselves? Do they know their strengths? Can they read others? That sort of, I think, communication, being able to feel the vibe is, do I get after him today or do I pull back? That emotional intelligence. The other one that you mentioned in your book, uh, I think on at least half of these guys is clarity. What mm. are their vi- vision? What are the values? What are, what are wh- Who are they and what are they about? That just crystal clear clarity. And then the third thing I, I felt like a big category is the psychology. Like they're tough, yeah. they're resilient, they, they get discouraged, but they always bounce back they're committed they're focused those sort of tough psychology so anyways um as you share you know kind of authenticity i think authenticity yeah it just authenticity. And maybe that's character right like i think that's I think, so. I think it's another way of saying character and, and being you know i guess true to yourself and and also like there's been a bit of a reckoning in in the hockey space about character right and how you treat your players yep. and uh there you know for decades it was okay to be completely really hard, probably over the line hard on your players. And that was seen as, as, you know, 
tough love or however. And, you know, the, the players of today just won't tolerate that. Uh, you know, some of the stories that you would, you would hear coaches doing years ago, you cringe, you're like, I can't believe, you know? Um, and so, um, so I, I think that is even, even evolving, right? Like what that character looks like. Um, but I think hopefully if you're authentic yourself, that doesn't evolve, right? Like that's kind of true to your core. Yeah. Love that. So just uh, quickly, I'd love to hear you share with my audience the genesis for this book. Like, what what yeah. was it? A fabulous idea. I, again, love the book. But what was the genesis of the idea? Yeah, so it, it really started a long time ago um, when, when I was getting my start in hockey and was sitting in a in a scrum with a few reporters and a coach named Ken Hitchcock, who was, who was featured in the book. He won the Stanley Cup with the Dallas Stars and had great runs with the Blues and Blue Jackets and among other teams. And, um, and, you know, I, I was learning the sport or at least really learning the, the details of it And you know, we shut off our recorders and Ken just started really breaking things down, you know, so we understood it uh, like previous game and just talking hockey, but, re- but talking to us in detail that I had never heard. And this probably went on for 20 minutes to a half hour, like cameras are off. He's just, he's just sharing his knowledge. And I think he's passionate. I think he, I think it was important to him and I'm just, you know, maybe I'm projecting, but I think it was important to him that those who cover the game have a knowledge of it, maybe deeper than, than we've seen at times in that sport. And uh, I turned to the writer after Hitch left. I said, boy, that's, that's amazing. He goes, yeah, sometimes um, he even goes beyond that. He'll take a writer inside and, you know, local TV guy or whatever, who maybe is new to hockey and they'll watch film and they'll, he'll break stuff down and explain why players. And I'm just like, as somebody who was, kind of a little bit on the outside in the hockey space. I'm like, that, I would find that so valuable and yeah. that'd be amazing. And it just kind of stuck with me. Um, and for a long time, and I'm like, that's, and I thought at some point, boy, it would be a cool story to do, you know, just spend some time with a coach. And then I'm like, well, if I can convince enough of the best coaches to do it, like that's more than a story. We could turn, you know, do a chapter on each one. And, and it, it grew from there into a book. And, and it was funny. I, I think I tell it in the book and early on, Mike Babcock, who, who he's, he won a Stanley Cup with the Red Wings, multiple gold medals with um, Team Canada in the Olympics. I, I went to him kind of with a half-baked concept. And I said, they sat down with Mike and I'm like, here, you know, I want to do this book. Would you, would you, and like, he had no, he's, if it wasn't planned out and structured with exactly the coaches that I wanted, he, he just didn't have time for me kind of conceptually agreeing to something. And he says, come back and talk to me when you have an actual plan. And, and so I did and came back and, and, you know, he, he was great. He's like, okay, that'll work. And he was really the one who guided, you know, there's a lot about the game, but there's probably as much about leadership and management um, as there is about the game that we're watching. And, and that, I think that idea came from Mike where he's like, look, if you want to sell a hockey book in the United States, it can't just be about the games in those moments. Like you need to broaden it and talk about leadership and talk, which I love anyway, like he was preaching to the choir here. Um, and so I, I think my balance as a writer was trying to appease the hockey fan that wants to relive 2010 gold medal, us Canada in, in bought the book for that reason versus maybe someone like yourself or whoever, who maybe isn't a diehard hockey fan, but they just want to learn from people that are doing this at a high level. Yeah. And that like that, that was the balance I was constantly trying to strike. Yeah. I love it. The, the quote, um, your quote of the leadership and coaching geek inside of me that hooked <laughs> me. Cause I'm like, I'm in, yeah. I'm in, this fires me up. Cause I, I, I love it. I think, I think Ken Hitchcock is, is, is spot on. Like there are going to be some, di- my, one of my best friends is a 
he's a hockey fan. He knows hockey. Yeah. I learned more about hockey in your book, but I read it because of leadership. I've read it yeah. because I wanted to figure out what are the elite people doing in the hockey arena and how does it, how does it transfer into other, uh, other sports and other, other arenas. But, you know, I'm learning about four, the, the, they have four line shit. I, I learned a lot from yeah. doing it, but that's not why I picked it up. Yeah, no. And I, that's, see, that's perfect. And I, and I appreciate you saying that. And I, like, I was optimistic that maybe we found the right lane. I heard from Tom Crean, who coaches uh, Georgia's basketball team. And yeah. he said, you know, Hey, grabbed your book, not a hockey guy, but you know, I was able to learn from these. And, I, and I'm like, okay, if I, you know, he sent a really nice email and I'm like, that's, you know, that that's great. Okay. If somebody at a high level of coaching is able to glean, you know, one thing from this and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Okay, I want to uh, ask one more, a little bit higher level question before we dive into the weeds. How many of the, how many of the coaches that you were around for the book, but we can even go outside of the book, the ones that you that, that you know well enough. How many other coaches are like have that like I'll just phrase it like this: have that next level of learner and curiosity mm. in them because that is one of the things that I have seen. The elite coaches, they're, they're, to your point earlier, they come in all different shapes and sizes, but they're, one of the attributes feels like there's just a, a, a curiosity that runs deeper than, than most. I, yeah, 100%. And I don't know, again, I don't know if other sports do this, but I, I've always been struck, as soon as the season is over, these coaches are organizing conferences. I mean, these NHL, NHL coaches, this isn't lower level. And they're getting together and they're speaking about, okay, hey, our power play really worked this year. Here's what we did all year and against you. Like, and here's what, here was our structure. And then, you know, there's a, a conference circuit that they do in, and they open it up to college coaches and youth coaches. Um, but, I, you know, it, over and over again, these high end coaches who are the best in their business are immediately sharing what I would think is a competitive advantage. And, but they're just like, this is what we've been doing this. I mentioned a coach named Claire Drake going way back to, you know, Western Canadian uh, university hockey. Like this is just their mentality has been if, to, to share amongst each other, to teach each other um, with the reality is they're, they're probably all breaking down the film and watching the same thing anyways. Yeah. So like, there's no secrets really, but, you know, but sharing it with each other. And so I do think not only is there this thirst, um, for learning in the co hockey coaching community, I think there's a, a, a genuine thirst to teach and to share it with others. And, and I, you know, I, I love that about that world. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Let's dive in. Uh, chapter five, loved it with Todd McClellan. Yeah. By the way, I was, I was looking back at all my highlights. I, I, I read it on a Kindle. And so I looked at all my highlights and it was really interesting. My two favorite chapters were Todd McClellan and Joel uh, Quinneville. Yeah. And they were my least highlighted portion. <laughs> I don't I'm know what sure that means. Why. Is that good or bad? <laughs> no, I actually think I got drawn into their story a little bit more. I think, yeah. I, I think one, it seemed to me like they were a little bit on the on, leaning towards like the let's build relationship mm -hmm. with our guys. For some reason, I'm drawn to that. It's probably how I'm wired. Um, but so I think I kind of got drawn into their story and then um, had a ton of notes. And I want to ask you later about Mac, Mike Babcock had a ton yeah. of notes on him. And he was the one that I don't know how much I read, obviously an elite coach, but I don't know if I resonated with as much with him. So I just found that That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. So let's go uh, Todd McClellan. I'll start with yeah. just a kind of big picture. I would love to hear um, 
either stuff that you put in the book or stuff that didn't make the book, just your, your perspective on Todd and what stuck out to you about Todd McClellan. Well, so Todd, I'm glad you, I'm glad you like that chapter. Um, and, um, I'm always interested to hear which, which coaches seem to connect with people. Cause it is really a different answer almost to a person. Sure. And the Mike Babcock one seems to be the favorite from people who are just leadership people. Like he's so articulate and yep. here's his, here's his leadership philosophy. And here's, um, where, Todd, I cheated a little bit and put him in the book. Uh, everybody else is like a Stanley Cup or an Olympic win. Tom, Todd was a World Championships gold medal, and and that's you know that's still a great accomplishment, right? Like you, you took a, a team of high end, you know, Sidney Crosby and great hockey players won the worlds. But I think at the outset I was like, hey, I'm going to focus on Stanley Cup winners. Todd wouldn't have qualified, and but I wanted Todd in this book because of all the things you said. Like this is a guy who is a great communicator. Um, I liked his backstory of. You know, he started coaching really young, a- answered an ad in the classifieds. Like this never would oh. happen anymore, right? Like sees, hey, the local junior hockey team needs a coach and and worked his way into the interview. Um, and I think I, I, I really found room for Todd and, and I, that's, you know, and I'm glad he did it because I, I've always enjoyed our conversations. Like anytime I sit in his office, I feel like I learned something. He's, he's, he is uh, generous with his time. He's, he's really good at communicating. I thought you know, if, if, if each coach had a theme, I thought that that ability to communicate and especially with younger players today, how he's tried to find ways to do that and proactively does that, um, I thought was, was important in a distinction from some other coaches. Um, and just to kind of give you an idea of of the person, I mean, so Todd, I, I asked him to do this and he's like, you know what, come on up to Kelowna, which is, you know, British Columbia in the summer, it's heaven on earth, mountains and a lake and, and he's like, I'll pick you up in my boat at your hotel and I'll give you a tour. And, and, you know, we did the thing and he's, you know, he invited me back over for dinner and a beer and to play games with his family. And this is a guy, like, I don't cover Todd on a regular, like, this is just, you know, he, he's, that's the kind of guy he is. He wants to make that connection. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I think that is reflective in, in his approach as a coach. And I think that's why players love playing for him. You did a really good job. I thought of like balancing the, the we're watching film and kind of the hockey specifics plus having a really kind of painting a picture plus adding in some quotes from other people that Mm -hmm. gave some context and more color to what you were writing so is there anything with Todd McClellan that as you talk to different people about Todd that that kept rising to the top anything different than you shared that just kept rising to the top in your interviews you know, the, the thing that jumped out to me in talking to, to people, and this came from a conversation I had with Doug Riseborough, who who was uh, formerly GM of Minnesota Wild and worked for the Rangers, um, you know, high, highly respected person in the hockey space. And he was somebody that Todd, you know, before I sat down with these coaches, I would just say, hey, who are some of your mentors? Who are some people that have influenced you? I just want to have those conversations so I can ask good questions. And and Doug's name came up. And one of the things that I found was interesting about Todd was he was one of those guys that was um, identified early as a rising star in the coaching world, right? Before he even reached the NHL, people were like, hey, you know, this guy in the AHL is the next great young coach. And, and you know, he had kind of been identified that. And, and he was somebody who was super ambitious and wanted to climb the ladder very aggressively, like we all do, right? And what Doug Riseborough said, and, and this is what Todd said he learned from, from Doug, was, hey, you have to, um, you know, the, the way you climb that ladder is just as important as climbing it, right? Like in, in, the, in the competitive world of sports, if you take a bad job, 
when you're not ready or it's not the right job, even if it looks like it's a promotion, it can change things pretty dramatically. And I'm sure there's a million coaches out there that took the first job above them, but it was a terrible situation or they didn't, they didn't really connect with the organization or the person that was hiring them, but they just wanted to, to, to kind of keep moving up. And I thought that was such valuable perspective from Todd to say, you know, as you're rising, you have to also be cognizant that that next step puts you in a good position. Yeah. I'm going to read that. I, I had that quote highlighted or that talk when he was talking about that. And it said this, that Risebro told him that there were distinct stages to a successful career. First, establishing, establishing a passion. To be great, coaching had to be an obsession. The second was working on your craft, focusing on daily improvement. Then it was settling, setting goals and climbing the ladder. The final stage was reaching the point where you can start to turn down opportunities that don't align with how you want to live your life. Mm. Yeah. That's good. I, yeah, that's great advice. Totally. I, I hope we all get to that last point. No doubt. One of the things that I think was was interesting for me is when um, when you shared the story that he gets a job with North Battlefield Juniors out of yeah. a, a newspaper uh, ad, yeah, gets the that. job. And I have uh, uh, kind of, again, going back to a little bit what I'm learning about really elite coaches is there's no doubt they're they're gifted. But one of the things that happens with elite coaches that I've noticed is they're learners and they have a ton of reps. So we always look at these guys when they're 20 years down the road and you're like, yeah. oh my goodness, those guys are awesome, untouchable. What we don't see is behind the scenes of like coaching the the North Battlefield junior <laughs> team and getting reps and learning That's right. and growing. And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you look 20 years later and of course they're they're elite because they're learners, they're growers, they are gifted, but they just put in reps. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And what I found interesting about that too is so Todd, I think he had a back injury or whatever his injury was that that ended his hockey career sooner than he probably would have wanted. Probably would have had a you know longer NHL career if he had been healthy. And so he was starting off at a young age. And one of the things he had to learn was, hey, the, you know, the if you're co- if you're 24 and you're coaching 22 year olds, there's going to be this temptation to go out and have beers with the boys and all this stuff. And he had to learn like. I'm the coach. I'm, I'm leading this group. There are certain boundaries I need to set up. And, you know, I, I think I, I thought that was just an interesting wrinkle that maybe we all can't relate to. But I, I do at times where I'm managing writers that are, you know, my age or my peers that I or in cases that I looked up to. And yeah. and now it's like, OK, what does that look like now from our current relationship and how do we have to adjust? And, and you know, Todd talked about that early on in his career. OK, let's go to uh, Joel Quinneville. Um, you spent um, time with him watching the Game Six, 2010 Stanley Cup. Who's he's now the the head coach of the Florida Panthers? Same yeah. question, big picture. Your time with him, your time watching him, what has stuck out? Yeah, so Joel is oh, just drop my pen. Joel is an interesting one to me um, because the the picture of Joel Quenville we get from his staff and his players is different than we get in the media. Like this, this is a guy who players um, love, like would run through a wall, all the cliches you hear from a coach player relationship. Um, and, and they're like, he's funny and he's fiery. And, and then he comes out and does a press conference and he gives, you know, three word answers. And you're like, no, are we talking about the same guy? Right. Like this, and, and you know, to the point where we, we joke in the media, you know, there's a Joel Quenville kind of decoder ring you meet, you, you need, if you're, if he's answering a question and you say, Hey, would you think of uh you know, Patrick Kane's game. And he says, yeah, it was okay. 
and it's like okay that means it was terrible like we we've now known how to adjust what he, what he's saying you know because we've we've been covering him long enough so i was sincerely concerned um that i was going to get that joel quenville you know and and it doesn't make for good book writing if you're getting totally. two or three word answers um so maybe more than any coach in and, and i don't know if it reflects but i talked to a lot of players for that chapter um yeah. and it ended up being unnecessary because joel was great and, and we it was you know the casual setting and sitting back in in the summertime when he wasn't busy it was he, he was great and it was the joel his players saw and he was funny and telling great stories um but i'm glad i did do that research or talk to as many players as i did because the stories i got about joel were probably better than the time I, I I got with Joel, just being completely honest. And, and what struck me and what I kept asking players was, all right, I, you're going to, you, you'll run through a wall for Joel. I, I keep hearing that. Why? Like, give me an example. What does he do? Like, what does Joel do that makes you want to run through a wall? And by the way, this, what you're about to share is my yeah. favorite part of the book, what he does with the bonuses. <laughs> yeah. I'd like, Unbelievable. It, it just caps. Like I, guys started telling these stories over and over again. And it was such, and like, I don't think in the hockey space necessarily some of these were new, like these have been passed around locker rooms and people, but, but the, the story they would say back when you had bonuses in your contract um, at the end of the year, Joel would pass around a pen and a paper to the dressing room and say, Hey, anybody who's close to a bonus in your contract, let me know. And you know, if I'm, if you're one assist away, I'll make, you know, we'll try. He, he just wanted to know to reward his guys for their hard work for the year and he, you know, he would bother him if they were one assist short of getting a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. And I, there was one player, and I gosh, I think it was Tyson Nash, who who was you know fourth line fighter type, you know, wasn't playing on you know ton of minutes, but I think he had a ice time, and I and I hope I'm getting it right. It's been a while. He had an ice time bonus if he averaged a certain amount of ice time over the course of the season, he got extra money. Joel found out. And just ran him into the ice the last couple of games. He, he, instead of playing his usual nine minutes, he was playing 22 minutes. So like he would get off the ice and Joel would send him back out there. And Tyson, just, he's just like, you want to know why I'd run through a wall for that guy? I got my bonus and he recognized my contributions as a guy that was doing a really hard job, which is jumping in, sparking the team, getting in a fight. Didn't always, you know, lend itself to a lot of ice time, but he made sure I got that bonus. And, and, you know, you think to the, this, is, you could hear the emotion in Tyson. Tyson's voice, you know, this is a guy that would do anything for this guy. And that was a story from 25 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever it was. So I, I love that with, with Joel. Yeah. Now, a couple couple things that you mentioned about Joel prior to those stories was that he, he's uh, great at deflecting attention. Um, so not, you know, not wanting to be the, yeah. the guy in the limelight. And then when you started sharing some of them, those stories, like, I, I don't know how powerful those stories, I thought those stories were so powerful. Like if I think through sitting in a locker room, knowing that I'm, you know, an assist or two short or some ice time short or whatever, knowing that my coach actually gives a crap about that. Mm -hmm. And by the way, some of those bonuses were not like, they weren't like $2,500. Like those are like, <laughs> those yeah, are like $500,000 type bonuses. If I'm the owner, I might not love that story nearly as much. Seriously, but. as long as you're winning three, Stanley Cup. That's right. Might, that's right. Might be worth it, dude. I, that was really I. I love that um, about him, and and maybe that's what really stuck out. So I want to ask this: you made the you go to uh, Chicago to the mm -hmm. arena to to visit with him, and um, you made the comment in the book. I didn't write the exact quote down, but you made the comment in the book that uh, even go, getting from outside to his office, the Chicago Blackhawks. 
Blackhawks felt like a well-oiled machine. Mm. Just on like, I think someone was there to meet you and then someone had the, right. the oh, yeah. everything teed up. It just, it felt, you said it was a well-oiled machine. I'm curious in your time covering the Blackhawks um, and other organizations, when you say the Blackhawks felt like a well-oiled machine, not just that day, but in general, what is what are some of the commonalities between the really elite organizations that you see? Because obviously some operate at higher levels than others. Right. So I would say, I mean, as in the media, this is a double-edged sword, right? So the Blackhawks are are a well-oiled machine, and and I'll and I'll get to what that looked like in a second. But they're you know they're also controlling the message, right? Sure. So so there's times that the stuff that looks like it's them being super prepared is also frustrating from our perspective because it's like, hey, we're seeing everything through the lens of your organization. Now, if you're in that organization, that's you know mostly a good thing, I imagine, right? You want your things reflected the way you want it reflected. Um, so I like, uh, there are times where that from a media perspective can be frustrating. Yeah. Um, but in this, you know, it, it just was interesting, right? Like, and this is not a reflection of any of the other coaches and how they went, like everyone just did it differently. Like, you know, sure. Todd's picking me up in a boat where there, this one, it was, you know, I get to the rink, there's somebody waiting at the door. I get down and there's a tech guy who's ready to take my laptop and hook it up to the machine. And, you know, there's, you know, and if you compare that to some other coaches where I'm fiddling with their home internet system to try to watch these games, it's completely different. Uh, but, you know, they had their tech tech guy ready to go to help out and, and you know, PR prepping me on where, you know, what it, the current situation and where Joel is and he comes in and right on, you know, and it was, it was all very polished and perfect. It, it, but I think, um, like, and it's great. And that's a great way to run an organization. But I think it also comes at a cost of like, you know, I would rather have gone to Joel's house. You know what I mean? And, totally. you know, and, 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 and I'm sure and maybe they wouldn't have cared, but like, I think there's a different way, you know, there's different approaches to that. So, um, yeah. but it, it was, it was, they, they run things a type and it was professional and made my job easier from that perspective. Um, we weren't worried about technology and it was great. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of a different stark difference. I think it was your first, at least it was the first chapter yeah. in Billsma where you're like, dude, I don't even know if this is going to work. Do you have I had internet? no idea. Like that was the most stressed I, w- I was for any of them. Like I was going in, I was I was using using um, uh, Apple TV to connect to his, you know, I'm hoping my wireless connects. And yep. we get it going and pictures of my my sister's kids in Disney World show up on his flat screen. I'm like, what, what is happening here? And <laughs> I loved it. thankfully, yeah. Dan, you know, I knew Dan a little bit and he was a, he was a, a trooper the whole way. So it was great. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, John Cooper was not in the book, um, yeah. but I have had some conversations uh, with some people and just have, they've talked about John Cooper as a leader. And so wanted to uh, just, yeah, kind of pick your brain, even though he wasn't in the book. What are, what have you seen? What are the attributes that you've seen in John that make him so successful? Um, He, John, when you talk about real and authentic is as real as it gets and um, hasn't changed an ounce. Like, and I love that. This, this is a guy that just won a Stanley cup and Mm -hmm. talking to him now is the same as talking to him when he was riding the bus in, in the AHL as a coach there in, in Norfolk or wherever it was. And, and um, you know, John, it, it's funny because I wanted, for all the reasons, um, I wanted Todd and I wanted John for, for that. Like, here's a guy that that was a lawyer, quit his job as a lawyer because he wanted to chase his dream as a coach. So he, this wasn't a former player or a Hall of Famer who was, who was already known. He had to earn everything on merit, John Cooper. And 
and not only did he have to do it on merit, like he had to be so over the top good to get every opportunity because nobody knew who he was. So he's, so he like, not, not only did he win at the AHL level, he broke every record for consecutive wins in a championship. Like this is a guy. And I think in the hockey world, especially that's a tight circle. Um, you know, I, you know, it's, it's a bit of an old boys club. If you want to probably get negative, like it's the same people kind of getting the same opportunities to break through that. You have to be exceptional. And John mm-hmm. Cooper had to do that. And I, you know, I wanted him in the book and John's reservation was um, he hadn't won yet. And he's like, I, I don't want to do something like this. And, and, you know, have people think that I'm at that level or like, he just, he, like, he just didn't know how it would be perceived. It's like, here's a gold medal winner and here's an, a Stanley cup winner. And here's this other guy who I think is going to be good one day or, you know, right. when, when I was in. And so, and I respected that. And I'm like, I go, if I ever do a follow-up, John, I'm sure you'll be in it because I know you're going to win a Stanley cup, which he did. And um, I would like, if you don't know John Cooper, I would encourage you to go. I don't even know if you can find it, but when they won the cup, they did the, the, the post-game press conference uh, that should have been just John Cooper. And he brought up his entire coaching staff and was mm. like, these are the guys you guys don't talk to every day that got us here. And they all had a beer in their hand and they're laughing and their arms around each other. And someone would ask a question to John and he would say, no, Hey Todd, why don't you answer that one? And this is a guy that wasn't trying to, here's a moment that could have been, Hey, this is the crowning achievement of me quitting my job as a lawyer and getting to this, this point and, and celebrate me for a second. And, he, he did the opposite. He brought his team uh, and his teammates and his fellow coaches up to the podium with them. And I don't know that, that, that to me was John Cooper. Totally. Yeah. I, um, I interviewed a guy uh, by the name of, of Denny Scanlon, the deputy commissioner at the United States hockey league. And he had mentioned um, trying to think, I think he was scouting with the New York Islanders, maybe ran into, to John Cooper Somebody introduced him to John Cooper when John Cooper was in the minor leagues. And he said um, just exactly what you said. Like, he goes, I sat down and was asking him questions because he was further advanced than I was. And I was trying to get some counsel. And we had some commonalities going on. And he said, dude, I, he was so present with me and felt, I literally felt like in that moment for an hour-ish over some chips and beer that I was the most important thing hmm. to this guy. I didn't know this guy. Literally, I just met him, sat down. And then he said, since then, as he's climbed the ladder, um, he's the same guy, super present with you. You feel yeah. like you're, he's actually there with you, not looking over your shoulder, looking for someone bigger or better to talk to. And so that to me, and this is, I think you mentioned it, uh, Craig, I think this is interesting. Like when you talk about 2021, I think those, those people that have that wiring or that gifting or that intentionality are going to be the ones that are are the, able to lead teams and rally to I mean, even 2010, it was, feels like a forever ago. Yeah. hundred percent. How you could navigate some of those. I think it's a different world. So guys like John Cooper, it doesn't surprise me that a guy like that's winning. No. Not, and like, that's like that story that you told with John Cooper has happened to, uh, you know, over and over again. Like I, the first time I really spent time with John, I was in Tampa. He just had gotten hired as an interim coach in the middle of the season. I happened to be in Tampa working for ESPN on another story about one of their players, Steven Stamkos. And we both happened to be staying at this, the Marriott right next to the rink because he was living there because they, he didn't have a place yet. And he was an interim coach. And we see each other in the lobby. He's like, he's like, you know, we, I introduced myself. He's like, you want to go grab a beer? And I'm like, sure. And like, we, we grabbed a beer. Like we had known each other for, mm. you know, 20 years and had a, you know, 
and he just, he's like, tell me about, you know, what you're doing down here. And like, you know, this is a guy that's, that's getting his opportunity of a lifetime. And, you know, like that's, that's John. And he just, he seems like when we talk about curiosity or connection or communication, he has all those things. That's cool. Okay. I end with three questions. First one is what do you, what are you currently reading or listening to that's helping you grow? Yeah. What are you diving into? All right. I'm going to, I was prepared for this. So, so I'm going to cheat and tell you a book I just finished because I think it'll work for your, uh, for your audience. I just finished a book called the trillion dollar coach and this might've been shared, but leadership playbook of Silicon Valley's Bill Campbell and it's by Eric Schmidt and others. And I loved it. Just loved it about um, a guy in Bill Campbell that nobody's heard of and, and who was, was more interested in helping the people and giving good advice and being there for teammates um, than, than becoming a CEO of a company, which, he, you know, I'm sure he did at one point, but like he didn't need the, ad, the money or the adoration. And of course got all of that is, you know, as that somehow that's how it works. So yeah. I, that's a strong recommend for me. I'm actually reading, um, Walter Isaacson's biography of Leonardo da Vinci as we speak. I'm about a hundred pages in. Um, I like to, I like to do, you know, I like biographies um, just in this, you know, I'm obviously can't relate to Leonardo da Vinci, but you know, maybe you can pick up a thing or two there and it's been a good read so far. Totally. Are you generally a reader? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, Every night I, I read, I'm constantly got books going and yeah, I love to learn. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I love the trillion dollar coach. I read it a couple years ago and um, I work with coaches. Like I had mentioned to you, just like I coach coaches and dude, such a game changer. It just gave me some vision for yeah. what, what a healthy coach of a non-sports team. Well, for sure. A sports team, but a non-sports team looks like, I thought it was yeah. great. So it's, it's great. One. Okay. Second question I asked, what advice would you give a young person just getting started in the, um, in the area of journalism writing? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I would say, um, the, the advice I give is two things is one is make sure you're chasing it for the right reasons. Make sure you're passionate about it. Cause it's a really hard, same as coaching. It's an impossible industry that, um, you know, there's people are getting fired and laid off and it's really competitive. So, you can't be in it just because you love sports or you have some other, you know, whatever you, you think it'd be cool to get, go to games for free. You have to do it because you love, you, you're curious about people. You love telling stories. You love sharing with others. You like, you know, writing, you like reporting. So make sure your passion aligns with what makes the job successful would be one. And then two, I always tell people to find somebody that's doing the job you want and get to know them. And, and, learn from them. And, and, you know, our industry, like others are people are generous. If, if they see somebody who genuinely wants to help and, you know, and learn from them and is coming to them for the right reasons. Um, it's even better if they're a hiring manager, right? Like, you know, if you're talking to somebody for the first time, um, when the job is posted, it's probably too late, right? Like people have in their mind who they're going to hire for stuff oftentimes. So, uh, you know, I would, I would just encourage people to cultivate relationships, like genuinely, not because you're trying to get a job, but you know, and, and look for those mentors that are doing what you want to be doing. Love it. Good stuff. And the third question and last question I asked, um, who would you like to hear on this podcast? I'll, you can go coaching, you can go journalism, I'll, you go whatever way you want. Yeah. Who would you like to hear on this? So the name that came to mind when we were chatting is a guy named Todd Woodcroft, who is the new head coach at the University of Vermont, um, coached the, he was an assistant coach with the Winnipeg Jets. And I think, I like to listen to Todd talk about 
everything we talk about leadership. He is a lifelong learner. He comes from a family of learners. His brother Jay is also an AHL coach. There are guys that when you're on the circuit and you're at these conferences, they're speaking. He's he's so articulate and sharing. Mm. Um, and and it comes from a place of just wanting to help others. Um, it's, it's, he's very genuine. And I would listen to, and what I'm fascinated with, with Todd now is he's taking over a, um, a job. That's a huge job, you know, as a head coach at a, a college that has a, a history of success that struggled in recent years and um, how he's taken that approach. You know, he, he, he took a risk in leaving an, a good NHL job. I mean, NHL assistant coach jobs are, are not easy to get. And, and I would love to sit and listen to him talk about that, that process. Love it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm on it. I'm going to work on that one. All right. Good. Um, lastly, uh, another book, 10 more coaches. What are your <laughs> thoughts going forward? I do have another book. I can't, I don't know if I'm allowed to share it yet. So okay. I will say, um, the success of this book led to a major publisher reaching out and, and saying, Hey, we have a similar concept. We think you would work well. And if I'm ever allowed to leave my house, I will, I'm looking forward to getting really diving into it, but I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's cool. Well, count me a big fan of yours, Craig. Seriously, the book was <laughs> phenomenal. I, I, like I said, tore through it. Uh, really good stuff. And thanks again for hopping on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. I'm assuming if you made it this far that you enjoyed the conversation, would you please leave a review and pass this podcast along to anyone else that you think might enjoy it if you have any suggestions for the show i'm always looking to to grow and to improve the show email me at travis at kingdomcoachingtw.com thanks again for listening until next time have a good one